are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Lance, how's it going? I'm I'm doing pretty good right now, Noah. This rain did not necessarily come out of nowhere. I was expecting it to rain today and then just for the foreseeable future for the next few days, but... Uh, it's been nice. It's been refreshing. It's been a very calm Wednesday afternoon. That's right. And there's going to be rain with us throughout the rest of the week. I wonder what the forecast looks like up in Pennsylvania for Saturday's ball game. Hope it's not up there for folks making the trip, but it's definitely going to follow us. Looking at my weather app, it's supposed to rain for another week. So stay dry out there, folks. And uh, hope everybody's having a great start to their week. Lance, we got a fun show planned. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to be doing our report Wednesday. We're going to be breaking down uh, what Penn State likes to do schematically. We've got Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC at 2.30, Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast at 3.30. Got some interesting things going on in our Making Headlines segment at 3. Just a jam-packed show. And again, like I said at the start of college football season, I've said a few times as we've opened the show here, I'm just so glad it's back. There's just so much to talk about, man. Take me through Penn State. So Penn State... Uh, is a team that we've kind of been looking at, obviously, for, for through the course of the first two weeks of the college football season because Auburn's going up there to uh, play them this weekend. They struggled against Wisconsin, and they managed to pull out a 16-10 to win on the road, and then they beat a Ball State team 44-13. to But you see those two final scores, and you say, oh, Penn State was able to actually go and do some really good things on the road, and then against Ball State, they were able to beat a top 15 in Wisconsin, and then they were able to establish dominance at home. But if you go and you look deeper into the statistics and you go and watch the film, it was not as pretty as you might have thought. Schematically, Penn State, offensively and defensively, I think Auburn's going to be able to exploit some flaws that they have, and we'll go ahead and get into those. As far as you know, Sean Clifford as a quarterback, I think Auburn's going to be able to put a lot of pressure on him and make him force him into decisions that are not not in Penn State's best interest. We saw that against Wisconsin, right? We saw it a little bit against Ball State. You talk about the pass rush numbers. You know, Penn State's offensive line is not very good at pass blocking. They gave up three sacks to Ball State. Like, in what world at home, as a, as a top-10 team, do you give up three sacks to Ball State? That just doesn't happen. And uh, Wisconsin was living in Penn State's backfield all all day, uh, and I, I believe Penn State finished the game with a, just a little over 50 yards rushing. Sean Clifford wasn't able to get, a, get it going on the ground. He is, is, is a somewhat mobile quarterback. We didn't see it against Wisconsin. We saw it a little bit again against Ball State. Uh, 66 yards on 11 carries for uh, Sean Clifford. But, yeah, my, I think that my big thing, if we're talking about what Penn State likes to do schematically, I think you have to start with the trenches, and you have to look at that offensive line and that defensive line and how Auburn's going to match up against those two units. 
a look at what Penn State likes to do from a scheme perspective. A lot of these numbers coming from pro football focus and what these guys are looking to do in their run blocking scheme and where they like to throw the football as well. But first, we want to hear from you. Number to call 334-321-1390 or text line at 334-564-1840. That's how you can reach us. Any questions, comments, we want to hear from you today as we are to hump day of a big game week for Auburn football. But taking a look at the offensive scheme for Penn State, up-tempo spread. These guys are trying to kick it up a notch from where they were last year. They only ran 51 plays against Wisconsin, but if you watch that football game, you look at the first half, Wisconsin had 12 first downs to Penn State just having one. Wisconsin controlled that football game on the ground. Penn State won it because at the end of the day, they were able to connect on a few shot plays that ended up giving them the scores that were necessary to win that football game. Only won 16-10. They ran 79 plays against Ball state that's kind of counterintuitive because when you play those games against inferior programs sometimes your offense can get to the point where it's scoring so fast that you actually end up running fewer plays because the game is shortened by the fact that it was a blowout right but they ran a lot of plays against ball state right and that's that was the situation for auburn over the course of the first two weeks right 58 plays against akron 53 plays against alabama state and like you mentioned their passing offense it seems like it's kind of been all or nothing up up until this point their top three receivers john Jahan donson parker washington and keandre lambert smith are all averaging at least 10.4 yards per catch Jahan donson's averaging 16.7 uh, lambert smith is a- averaging 16.8 point eight so whenever they're throwing the ball they're not going like my concern was earlier in the week they're not going intermediate and short they're trying to hit the long ball and the only reason they were able like you mentioned to get over the hump against Wisconsin is because there was a couple busted coverages downfield it wasn't like Penn State's even though their skill position players are really talented we graded this unit as an A I believe during the offseason receivers we did yeah the receivers are very talented it's just they, they did not get open consistently in the right way against Wisconsin. And Ball State, I feel like you have to discard it because it's, it's Ball State. I want to go back to those play splits there between Ball State and Wisconsin and make a point about that real quick before we move on to some of this passing game. What the 51 plays against Wisconsin tells you is if you can establish a ground game and get Penn State out of rhythm, the game's going to slow down. They are not going to be able to get up tempo like they want to. They're not going to be able to hurry up to the line of scrimmage. They're not going to be able to do that. And guess what Auburn does really well? Run the football, control the clock. At least this team has shown the ability to do that really well here early. Now they've scored fast with some shot plays against Alabama State and Akron, but that's Alabama State and Akron. I think the game plan shifts a little bit for Auburn going into this game. I think they're going to try and put it on the ground. I think they're going to try and churn some clock, put together some long drives, wear down Penn State a little bit, and then occasionally take some shots when the opportunity presents itself in second and short situations maybe even on a third and short situation if Penn State is coming into the box and that's something that we talked about on yesterday's show I believe Brian Harson's aggression through the over the course of these first two games whenever Auburn's gotten a stop they've gotten a turnover they're at midfield and they've just converted a first down or like you said it's a short yardage situation Harson has been known to be aggressive and take those shot plays I agree with you I don't think we're going to see that as often against Penn State but when the opportunity arises I expect Auburn to try and test this Penn State secondary because Graham Mertz was not testing this Penn State secondary still digging in to this offense and what they like to do some in-depth statistics here once again all of these coming from pro football focus what we're about to get into this is the passing depth splits 
for where Penn State's liking to throw the football. 21% of the time, it's downfield beyond 20 yards past the line of scrimmage. 16.1% of the time, it's in the bracket between 10 and 19 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. That's the medium territory. 25.8% of the time, it's short at 29.0%. I don't know why I said 29 point. I was so used to the previous ones. 29% of the time, it is behind the line of scrimmage. 54.8% of passes are going to be within 10 yards or behind the line of scrimmage. So on the one hand, they are liking to take shots downfield about a fifth of the time, but half of the time they are playing in the short game. Right, and let me adjust my statement from earlier they are it's all or nothing with this with this Penn State offense right the passing offense according to the numbers they are either going to take a shot or they're going to keep it very close to the line of scrimmage typically and I think that's a place where Auburn can thrive you think about Auburn's linebackers and pass coverage Owen Papo and Zacoby McLean I feel like Chandler Wooten throw him in there at the star position occasionally on third down talk about the corners Roger McCreary gets a pick on a screen this last week if they're going to try and spread Auburn out and throw some screens and stuff like that I feel like Auburn's going to have a field day and then you talk about the long ball Auburn's not giving up a big play yet this season and you know why because they're dropping back into zone coverage sending three across the top a lot of times this this has been there's been a lot of cover three on this defense so I'm curious to see if if I'm Penn State what do I do against this Auburn defense do I attempt and, and exploit the middle of the field to see if I can get some intermediate stuff going or do I stick to what has worked over the course of these first two games and do I continue to throw screens and, and tunnel passes and then occasionally take a shot downfield to Dotson or Lambert Smith some other Statistics here on what Penn State likes to do in terms of their passing game. 60-40 split between normal pass plays and play action. 40% of the time, they're dropping back on a play action pass. And I think I think that's not necessarily going to be a concern for Auburn to bite on a run, right? Because Auburn's been so good against the run, and you look at Penn State rushing the ball, they're only averaging 4.4 yards per attempt this season. So I don't feel like Auburn's going to find themselves falling for a play-action fake or something like that very often. I want to add to this, the question is, can the Penn State offensive line hold up in pass protection long enough for a play-action pass, mm-hmm. even if Auburn does blitz? Of course, we've talked about the struggles that this offensive line had last year Give it up, what, over three sacks a ball game last season. They weren't very good this year. Continues to struggle. Gave up three sacks against Ball State, like you mentioned. Wisconsin was able to get some pressure on Sean Clifford early. So the question is, can they even hold up? And I think that's where the 54.8% of passes within 10 yards or behind the line of scrimmage comes from. I think that's where that comes from, is the fact that they know that this offensive line is having a difficult time holding up in pass protection so they're trying to get the ball out quick but that plays right into what Auburn does so well which is playing out in space and not allowing big plays off of screens and whatnot Roger McCreary once again you look back these first two weeks has been phenomenal at stopping the short game and then Jacoby McClain even got in on the action yeah and like you just mentioned it's a combination of things again if you look into these statistics it's a combination of things that result in one conclusion. This offensive line is not playing very well. Again, they're, they've not been dominant in the run game. You look at their passing game, like you just mentioned, they're trying to get the ball out quickly in space at the line of scrimmage. It all collectively comes to, they, they gave up three sacks against Ball State, it collectively comes to the conclusion that this offensive line has just not gelled. It's just not very good. And you look at Auburn's pass rush over the course of these first two games. I mean, obviously they got six sacks against uh, Akron. They got up two, I believe, against Alabama State, and they've had a ton of tackles for loss. Even though Auburn's strength of schedule right now is literally dead last in the country, 
getting those numbers is still somewhat impressive. I would expect Auburn's defensive line in this pass rush to be able to affect Sean Clifford and affect what Penn State is going to want to do offensively. If the running game shuts down for Penn State, which again, it's not been very good over the course of these first two games, I really have concerns if I'm a Penn State fan, even in that home environment, asking my quarterback in this offensive line to do something that takes a lot of time. Tell me about this running game. This running game, again, like I said, 4.4 yards per carry. Noah Kane is the current uh, starting running back, 117 yards on 28 carries over the course of the season. Did not really get a whole lot going against Wisconsin, and he didn't really get a whole lot going against Ball State. Uh, Penn State elected to go to four or five different ball carriers against the Cardinals. 69 carries, 3.5 yards per attempt, and a touchdown in that game. His long run was a, was a nine-yard run. His longest run of the day was nine yards against Ball State. And uh, in, I will also mention 240 yards rushing for Penn State against the Cardinals, but you look at Sean Clifford, who had 66 yards rushing. Had he not had one 43-yard run where the defense broke down, they would be averaging less than five yards a carry against that team. You go and look at the Wisconsin game, 2.8 yards per carry. They only ran the ball 18 times, but still, they have not been able to establish anything going in the trenches. And I think a lot of it, again, has to go back to what that offensive line is doing. Zone rushing attack, two-thirds of the run plays are zone scheme. Those stats there, courtesy of Pro Football Focus. You're talking about the starting running back, Noah Kane. Best success for him on some of these run play splits. It's really been between right guard and center. And that A-gap, 7.1 yards per carry through that part of the offensive line. But if you take out those rushes, he's had little success at pretty much every other hole. 3.2 yards per carry. Only, I believe, let's see, I think he has like a little bit under two. Yeah, just, just a little bit under two yards after contact. This whole team, of this whole stable of running backs really is only averaging about two and a half or a little bit over two yards after contact. So these running backs aren't adding a whole lot to the picture either. In comparison from, you know, just, just looking at yards after contact and what's going to be on the high end, Tank Bigsby's averaging five yards after contact right now. These running backs are averaging a fifth of that, right? That's pretty much getting hit and falling forward at this point. So not a whole lot to like. I think there is talent out of the backfield. I think there is talent out of these running backs. But at this point, these offensive linemen are having a very difficult time getting to the second level, which is really encouraging for me because Auburn's scheme is set up with the three down linemen to hold the point of attack and allow these linebackers to fill the gaps. Do you remember how frustrated it was to watch Auburn in 2017 and 2018 attempt to run the football against mm -hmm. LSU? And you saw stud linebackers like Devin White come in and fill the gaps and eat Auburn's lunch on a play-by-play -play basis? That, I think, is what Auburn's going to be doing against Penn State in this game. I think that's a fantastic point right there. It's been the focal point of this defense, this 3-4 front, saying, okay, we're not going to try and bull rush you whenever it comes to the run game up front with these defensive linemen. We're just going to hold the point of attack and let our really talented, physical, fast linebackers get to the point of attack and make those stops. And like you just mentioned, Auburn it looks like on paper they should have a lot of success doing that if Penn State attempts to run the ball. And again, if you put yourself in a situation where you're running the ball early as Penn State and you get yourself into a third and seven, third and eight, third and nine type of look, this, this offensive line I don't feel like is going to be able to consistently hold up against Auburn's pass rush. And Sean Clifford is known for not making the best decisions consistently. 
Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we continue to break down what Penn State is going to look like on Saturday and what we've seen from them through these first two weeks. We're going to talk about strengths and weaknesses for this offense, this defense. We'll get into the scheme for this defense as well. A lot coming up on the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Twenty minutes into the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. Coming up at 2:30, we got Chris Gordy of Locked On SEC. To speak to us about some of the other games happening in the league, as well as Auburn's big game against Penn State. I want to keep going here, breaking down what Penn State's going to be looking like on Saturday, schematically giving giving everybody a scouting report on these Penn State Nittany Lions on some in-depth statistics and numbers here. We broke down the offense in that first segment. If anybody missed any of it, go and find the podcast on demand on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Moving on from the offense, let's talk about this defense now. It's going to be a 4-2-5 nickel primarily when Auburn's out there with you know more wide receiver heavy offensive sets but when they need to to stop the run they'll bring an extra linebacker on the field it's a four-man front regardless this is not a 3-4 defense and they're pretty aggressive might I add going back to the Wisconsin game Graham Mertz was blitzed 50 percent of the time according to pro football focus 58.3 percent of the time talking about this pass defense now they'll drop back into cover three cover four or cover six so playing a little bit further away from the line of scrimmage dropping more guys into into uh, deeper coverage so that means nothing over the top right now of course those zones offer different things so I don't want to get into all of it the, the average fan probably doesn't even care but what that means is nothing over the top yeah exactly and it's similar to what Auburn wants to do right in terms of the zone coverage that they like to play like you mentioned a 4-2-5 scheme and you look at those two linebackers that they're going to have out there Ellis Brooks and Brandon Smith they're the two leading tacklers over the course of these first two games 15 for Smith 12 for Brooks yeah they've uh, they they've they've been able to do good things defensively against teams like Wisconsin where you know Graham Mertz is not the most elite quarterback in the world so they're able to kind of hone in on the run and then force Graham Mertz to uh to beat Penn State with his arm and we saw 37 attempts and then two interceptions late in that game third of the time or less and these are numbers once again coming from pro football focus third of the time or less last season these numbers are also last year's defensive outlook but it's pretty much the same they'll be in man-to-man coverage so less than a third of the time they'll actually go hand-to-hand combat like Auburn very similar defensive looks here this is a trend across college football in the NFL a lot more zone coverage these days um you know you talk about LSU shortcomings last year Bo Pelini was like we're gonna play man-to-man all the time and what did LSU talk about during media days and how to fix that oh we're gonna play a lot more zone this year you know did it fix it No, no not really but if you can do it well it can be very difficult to sustain drives against teams that don't allow you over the top and make you have to dink and duck down the field. And that's honestly what Penn State does well on this defense. I think they've got a good secondary. At least they've played well through these first two games. Have they faced great quarterback play and diverse passing offenses through these first two weeks? Definitely not. You're back in the Stone Ages with Wisconsin. I ask myself every year, if cavemen can discover fire, will, will Wisconsin ever discover an adequate passing attack? Probably not but um you know in ball states ball state right so they haven't been tr- tr- they haven't been truly tested at this point but 
the secondary has played well. I want to say, in terms of quality of quarterback play, Graham Mertz is not the worst quarterback in the country by no means, but I do I do think with Bo Nix and this more efficient passing scheme, you talk about allowing the intermediate and the, 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 the dink and dunk type of offense, I think Bo Nix... With this offensive line, you you know, again, like we mentioned at the top of the show, only three sacks allowed by Penn St- or uh, gotten by Penn State so far this season. I think Auburn's offensive line is going to hold up long enough for Bonix to not necessarily do whatever he wants in this game, but he's going to have more success than Graham Mertz. And the decision making, I think, is really important as well. I don't see Bonix coming into this game not throwing any, any touchdowns and throwing two picks. You talk about the timing of those interceptions, though. Late in the game, one of them on the goal line. I just don't see Nick's doing that. I see him being a more efficient quarterback in this in this scheme. And you you talk about this. Well, the secondary is really good. Yeah, I think the I think the defensive line is also decent in stopping the run as well. But they're not going to stop Jarquez Hunter and Tank Bigsby all day. This offense for Auburn, especially I feel if like, they're in the nickel. Yes, this offense for Auburn, I feel like is going to not again not necessarily have their way, but they're going to not they're not going to have a very difficult time, even with the added uh, effect of the crowd. Let's head to the phone lines now. 334-321-1390 is the number to call. And we've got Dan on the line with us. Dan, how's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Just driving through some rain here. There you go. Um, you know, I've had a chance to actually watch, uh, you know, a lot of the Wisconsin game, and I even watched a decent amount of the uh, uh, Ball State game. And from what I can tell, it looks like they don't get a lot of pressure on the quarterback unless they blitz. Right. Like, and a lot of times they're blitzing six guys. It's like, you know, sometimes you'll blitz and you'll blitz one extra guy, you know, other than your four. And then, you know, but they literally, even blitzing six, they didn't always get to the quarterback. So, you know, and, and I'm not taking anything. You know, Ball State's not a bad team. But they're not a great team, but they're not a bad team. But but even Wisconsin, they usually have a good offensive line, but they, they did replace – three starters on their offensive line, so it wasn't like they were, you know, primed to be, you know, one of the best in the whole country. So, you know, if, if you're having that much trouble getting pressure, they really don't get a lot of tackles for loss either. You know, they get a few, but not. it's not like, you know, so I, I think, you know, if Bo just has a little bit of time, he doesn't have to have a ton of time, just a little bit of time, and, and then he has a chance to go through a couple progressions and, in worst case, drop it off, you know, I mean, we have players. I mean, the one thing I would say between the running backs, they have a decent running backs, but none of them really are breaking away. You know, you would think they would get some breakaway runs, maybe get a 20, 30-yard run. For the most part, they're getting – it's very efficient, but very like four yards, three yards, five yards, seven yards, three yards. They don't. I don't know if they have the breakaway speed or the ability like Tank who can just make a guy completely whiff on you. I don't think they have those type of guys. And yeah, only so, two yards after contact as a team. And I didn't even know that, but that that's not that's not shocking to me. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Tank, you know, he can have a guy totally lined up on him, and just one little stutter, and bam, that guy's totally you know diving for. Yeah, air, you know? Tank's averaging five. So, yeah, he's averaging like five and a half, something like that at, at this point. Which is just for comparison. I mean, that, that's he's currently dwarfing Penn State right now in that category. Yeah, and and I, even Hunter even kind of doing the exact same thing. I mean, he's, he he seems like he gets contact, but he's got great balance and doesn't go down very very easily and yeah. stuff. So I, I don't know. I, look, I still think it's a tough game. I think it really comes down to just if we can just not get so bogged down with jumping off sides because it's so loud or any of that kind of stuff. 
you know, I'm sure it's going to happen some, but but if we can just minimize that, uh, then I think we have a, a fantastic chance of going up there and, and uh, getting an upset. Completely agree. They're good. They're Auburn should dominate in the trenches. I appreciate it. Thanks. That was Dan on the line with us. Appreciate you calling, Dan. 334-321-1390 if you want to call into the show. Yeah, going to the first half of his call, talking about pass rush. They mm-hmm. only have three sacks through two games. Three. And they blitz a lot. 50% of the time, Graham Mertz was blitzed. Only three sacks this season. They blitzed Ball State 35% of the time, roughly. That, that's me rounding up. It was like 34 point something. But like... They blitz a lot, and they don't get home. That is not a good sign. Remember what I was saying yesterday about Arkansas and Texas, how the bread and butter of the SEC, the middle of the pack, was able to go out there and physically dominate a team like Texas. And I'm not saying Texas has a fantastic defense. Obviously, they've not been a good defense for several several years now. But the talent level that they've had, you and I have talked about it over the summer, the recruiting classes that they've been bringing in. They have the talent on roster to go on the road and beat a 3-7 and seven team from, from the previous season. But Arkansas went out there and manhandled them at the line of scrimmage. If they're not getting pressure, Penn State is not. Auburn, just based on the fact that they are an SEC caliber team because they are an SEC team, I'm not saying that this is going to be a blowout. This game should be fun. It should be close because of the environment and the, the, the fanfare. And Mistakes all that will stuff. be made. Mistakes will be made. Things are going to happen that won't go Auburn's way. But and on, Penn State's still a good football team. By yes. no means are we saying they're not good, but I do think Auburn is better. On paper, all I'm saying is Auburn matches up well with Penn State in a lot of different yeah. areas. And again, that's on paper. We may come back on Monday and say Sean Clifford was almost perfect. Noah Kane broke a 70-yard touchdown run. And, and this defense was able to get to Bo Nix and Nix through three interceptions. I'm not trying to will that into existence. I'm just saying that's very much so on the tape, table. But on paper, after breaking it down, Auburn matches up well with Penn State in so many different areas. It's hard to think on a neutral site Auburn wouldn't win. I agree with that. Or at home. Or at home. And we'll get to see that next year. Yeah, we're going to see that next year, and that's <laughs> going to be fun. With Damari Alston, Jarquez Hunter, and Tank Bigsby in the same backfield with a lot of receiver production and Bo Nix coming back. That'll be a fun game. <laughs> Before we went to the call, I brought up that Penn State plays in the nickel a lot. Mm-hmm. Auburn puts a tight end on the field, and oftentimes they use that tight end and run blocking. They also you know, send them out on pass routes and whatnot, but I think Auburn's going to be able to get some numerical advantages in the box yep. to be able to get these running backs some time. And the fact that Tate Bigsby is averaging half a first down after contact... I, I'm I'm liking Auburn right now, at least in the trenches, and that's that's a big win. That that'll help you win ball games. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama Wednesday edition of the show. We've got Chris Gordy of the Locked On SEC podcast. Chris, appreciate you hopping on with us today. How you doing today? Yeah, absolutely, guys. No problem. Feeling good. Uh, two weeks into the SEC, heading into week three, and uh, still a lot of things on the line, still a lot to be determined. Who's good? Who's faking it? We're going to find out all, all that in the next couple of weeks. Well, bouncing around with some of the games for this week, I want to start near where you're at right now, located in Houston. Texas A&M fans 
have to be concerned. Maybe they're not, but I'm curious. Are they concerned with the way that this season has gone so far? It may not go as originally planned after seeing quarterback play from the Aggies over these first two weeks. What's your level of concern at this point with Texas A&M? Well, what's interesting is, I mean, first off, if I'm an Aggie fan, I'd be, I'd be pretty nervous right now. Just from a simple fact, you get New Mexico this week. It's, it's another tune-up game. And then you get Arkansas in uh, Jerry's World in Dallas on a neutral field. And that's a game that A&M has actually, you know, has won a lot. Um, you know, and, and I think it's a game that needs to go back to the stadium and, and get away from the neutral field. But I think Cole Kublik put it best uh, earlier this week and I, when I heard him say, do you know where Texas A&M was a year ago around this time? They lost to Vanderbilt, or they beat Vanderbilt 17-12. to And it was a game where they were heavily favored, where everybody was saying, oh, man, they're going to blow them out and blah, blah, blah. And there was a little concern on that Aggie team because it was like, man, you know, Kellen Mond's back, a senior quarterback. We're supposed to have this great offense. And they stumbled to a win. And then the next week, they end up getting blown out by Alabama. So, where A&M was at the time, you were like, my God, like, what's going to happen with this team? Well, they only finished, uh, went on to finish the season, win eight straight games, and finished the season nine and one, and their offense settled down and they figured things out. So while it's easy to overreact and go, man, they, you know, they nearly lost to Colorado. Zach Calzada had to come in for Hayes King. This offense looks like a mess. What's going on? There's still plenty of time to get things figured out. And so if I'm Jimbo Fisher, I'm giving Zach Calzada a game plan this week against New Mexico. Give him a lot of short to intermediate passes early. Let him build up some confidence and get going. Let him have a good game against New Mexico. Then you get Arkansas. You know, so you kind of ease yourself into SEC play here. So I'm not saying it's it's the end of the world. I'm not saying it's a great spot to be in. But um, you know, granted, I was a guy who before the season picked A&M to beat Alabama in Kyle Field on October 9th feel a little bit different about that game now if, if uh, Zach Calzada's <laughs> there. We know Hayes King's not going to be back for it, but yeah, I just I would say let's not overreact to what we saw this past weekend. A&M, the most important thing is they figured out a way to win the game. And so, uh, you know, they, they Zach Calzada went in for what should have been the game, the, you know, the go-ahead touchdown, fumbles it at the end zone, in, you know, at the goal line, becomes a touchback, and then still leads them down the field for another touchdown drive that actually counted. So, uh, there's some positives there, but no doubt Calzada's got to play much better this week against New Mexico to give them uh, any chance moving forward. Of course, Auburn and Alabama, they're both playing out of the state with some big road tests, one of these in conference, and we'll start with that one. The Crimson Tide taking on Florida. How do you expect this game to go for Bryce Young in his first road start? I mean, the easy thing to say is, oh, he's going to be fine and he's been outstanding and nothing's rattling this kid, highly touted recruit and all that. I just Man, I, I've been to the swamp before. I know how that place gets when it's rocking. And, you know, maybe it's, it's better that it's a day game for Alabama than a night game because, you know, it could get pretty loud and, and, you know, give those fans all day of drinking. They'll be even more rowdy. But I just keep looking at this game and going, man, Florida's offense, it's been, it's been pretty good with Emory Jones. It's been absolutely electric when Anthony Richardson has gotten in there. And, you know, we keep hearing, you know, he might play, he might not. He tweaked that hamstring late in the game last week against USF. If Anthony Richardson doesn't play, then that's a big element of Florida's offense. Where I don't know, if, I don't know if just Emory Jones can keep him in it. But if Richardson ends up playing, um, you know, I think I think it's enough added dynamic that Dan Mullen can play with to score some points on Alabama. But I, I do have some big question marks on Bryce Young. This is going to be his first actual road test. Keep in mind, last year when he was at Alabama, 
they never went to a hostile environment. There was never any packed crowds that they went and played football in. So this is going to be a, a true road test for him to see how he responds. What happens if you go three and out and Florida goes down and gets points and you're suddenly down 7 nothing? How does Bryce Young respond uh, as a young quarterback? I keep going back and forth. And I think Bama wins, but I think it's a lot closer than the 14-and-a-half line that I've seen it at. Well, you're talking about that Florida quarterback controversy, and we were talking about this uh, throughout th- this week so far on the show here about whether or not Anthony Richardson deserves at this point to kind of take over this offense if he's healthy and, de- and for Dan Mullen to continue to develop him as the season goes on. Do you think that's fair if Emory Jones does not look good against Alabama, or do you think Dan Mullen's going to try and fix this thing and he's going to ride it out with Jones? Well, I, I think Alabama's not the game to hold the barometer to Emory Jones. I mean, look, if Emory Jones goes out and throws three interceptions and you know turns the ball over left and right, I think I can't hold that against him. The next week against Tennessee, if he looks bad against Tennessee's defense, then yeah, I think he absolutely pulled the plug. But I think the, the, the tweak hamstring for Richardson, I know Mullen talked with the, the media yesterday and kind of downplayed it, played it and said, oh, yeah, you know, he's fine. He's going to be fine. He's just a little banged up. I think it's a bigger deal, and I, you know, a couple of people I've talked to said they wouldn't be surprised if Anthony Richardson doesn't play at all this week. And again, if that happens, then it's squarely on Emory Jones' shoulders. I just think you can't hold him to the fire and go, "You couldn't beat Alabama, Emory, so we got to pull you." You know, you're going to lose the starting job. But everything we've heard from Mullen in recent weeks is that he keeps comparing this to that the situation he, when he was at Florida a decade ago, where you know, had Chris Leak as a starter. You had this t- highly touted recruit by the name of Tim Tebow behind him, and they drew up some plays for him, and they did, you know, they did a jump pass for him at the red zone, and they did all these little, you know, these little gadget plays that they gave Tebow, and that's kind of what they've been with Richardson. It's like, all right, come in and throw a bomb. Hey, it's an 80-yard touchdown. All right, you come out. Emory Jones comes in now. Um, I think Dan Mullen likes that. I think he wants to continue to use both guys in that capacity. I think we as the fans – harp too much on no that guy's better so he must be the starter i think mullen's fine playing both guys switching over now to auburn's game at penn state of course a lot is being made right now about this road environment what do you think about it how will this new look auburn team handle being in such a hostile environment it's going to be a hostile environment it's going to be loud it's going to be the whiteout but let's not act like auburn's never played in a hostile environment before i mean bo nicks is a seasoned guy. He's a third-year vet. Um, granted, you didn't have a lot of fans in the stands last year, but as a freshman, when he was named SEC Freshman of the Year, guess what? Bonex played in a lot of hostile environments, including uh, you know in Baton Rouge, where you know they were in that game against LSU and Joe Burrow, the greatest offense ever, and, and Bonex and those guys were in that game. So um, you know, is it going to be a hostile environment? Is it going to be rough? Yes. Does, does Auburn need to take care of the football? Yes, but. Kind of deep, dive, diving into some of the numbers in Penn State, they only have a couple of sacks on the year. They're, they're not getting a lot of pressure up front, at least from the, the film that I've seen. But what they do have is four interceptions, including a pick six. Bo Nix has got to take care of the football. you, you got to go in there, establish the run, get, get Tanks, Bigsby, and the company going. And if they can run the ball and then pass off of that, I think Auburn's going to be just fine. I think they're going to be in this game to the very end. Uh, just the, the thing I look at with that Penn State defense is, you know, they can force the turnovers, but they're not getting a lot of sacks. So, you know, look, if you're under duress and you got to eat the ball and take a sack and, and punt the ball, Bonix, that needs to be stressed to him all week by Brian Harson because uh, otherwise, if he makes a big mistake, man, that, that crowd is going to feed off of it and they're really going to feel the, uh, that environment. 
Speaking with Chris Gordy of the Locked On SEC podcast, Chris, after two games, what are your impressions so far of this new look Auburn team under Brian Harson? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, I think we we have to, you know, in one breath, I could say very impressive. I'm impressed with Brian Harson. I think this thing could work. Uh, I think he could be a great coach at Auburn. But then I can also look at him and say, you beat Akron and Alabama State. You're supposed to be two and zero. You know, now you get a real test and a real barometer of how good of a team you can be and 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 are this year. But I will say, you score sixty points on any opponent, not one week, but two straight weeks. That's impressive. You hold, you know, one opponent to ten points, and you hold another opponent to, to zero points in four quarters. I don't care who that is. That's that's impressive. So I think Derek Mason's got the offense or got the defense really rolling right now. Um, you know, I like this secondary a lot. I know Roger McCurry finally got got his hands on the interception this last week, and, and uh, you know, I, I want to see the secondary get their hands on some balls from from Clifford from Penn State this week. And if they can capitalize, get a pick six here or there, and turn it into points, it'll make it even even better. But yeah, I, I just like report cards so far. You know, it's a pass. You've done exactly what we wanted to do, if not a little bit more. You know, we've seen some good some good rush yards and all that, but. Uh, I don't think we can be singing their praises or saying Auburn's going to compete in the West this year until we see them play some better teams, and we'll get a good read on that on Saturday night. Another SEC West team that I want to ask you about, LSU. There's obviously a lot of controversy surrounding them right now. And then John Emery Jr., one of their running backs, is officially out for the year, ruled academically ineligible for the rest of the 2021 season. It just seems like in Baton Rouge, it's just more controversy on more controversy. It just seems like the tensions are really rising down there. What do you make of this LSU program and all the things happening behind the scenes? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a lot of noise, but I don't think anybody like the the players on the field aren't really hearing a lot of it. I mean, you know, they they go into UCLA and were they not prepared? Did they not protect well? Did they not tackle well? Yeah, all of that stuff. But it's not like you know the fans. The immediate reaction is blow it up, fire Coach O. He's on the hot seat. Who can we get as the next head coach? Behind the scenes at LSU, they're all going about their business. Going, guys, it was one loss. It was a non conference game. We can we can fix our mistakes. We can. You know, we can sit here and hang our heads or we can get back to work, fix those mistakes, and try to still win the SEC West. I mean, I think that's the mentality that they're having right now. Their big problem, and it happened against UCLA, and it happened against McNeese this past week, their offensive line has not been healthy. They've been without several starters. Jason Hines, who's their right guard. Uh, Austin Deculus, one of their tackles, he was out this past week. Cam Wire, their other tackle who stepped in for Dare Rosenthal after he transferred. But they were without several starters, and Max Johnson is constantly under duress. Other teams have seen it. They're blitzing. They're getting pressure. they got to figure that thing out. Now, I think they're supposed to get healthy this week. Uh, Hines, I believe, is coming back. We'll see on Deculus. We'll see on Wire. But uh, they play Central Michigan. They should beat them. But the true test is going to be going to Mississippi State in two weeks. If they can get their starting offensive lineman back and healthy, and give Max Johnson some time, I think they'll be okay. The defense seemed to improve this week. They had eight sacks. I know it's McNeese, but, again, you know, you still have to go out there and, and get the pressure and get the sacks. So I think their defensive line is going to be good. Uh, the tackling in the secondary and the linebacker core will get better. But, again, you got to give Max Johnson time. The one thing that I, that I heard that they're going to start knocking down or trying to eliminate, they've been doing a lot of the check with knees, which, if you remember, that was a big thing about – six, seven years ago in college football where you hurry up, you run up to the line, then everybody looks to the sidelines and says, all right, is it, do, we, do we like this alignment or do, are we changing the play? So what happened is defenses evolved. So LSU's running that, 
the defense is seeing they're changing the play. They're adjusting, and then, you know, you're, in other words, you don't have an edge, and on top of it, you're slowing down your tempo. That's the one thing they had when they had Joe Burrow was they had constant tempo, and it was hurry up. We're seeing it with uh, Matt Corral and Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. They run the up-tempo offense. Hurry up. We want to run another play. We know what our play is. Don't let the defense get set. When you stop and look to the sidelines and do the check with me, then you just slow everything down. So that's one thing I've heard that LSU is either going to fully eliminate or at least cut down on, and that should help the offense and the fluidity. Chris, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yeah, anywhere you find your podcast, just uh, search Locked on SEC. And we're on YouTube now doing a video version of it as well. So just search uh, Locked on SEC. You'll find us there. I'm not ready to pick the full upset yet, but, man, I'm really tempted to take Auburn against Penn State. I'll make an official prediction on Friday. Well, if you want our advice, you should. We we like that pick a lot. We appreciate it, Chris. <laughs> Anytime, guys. That was Chris Gordy of the Locked on SEC podcast. Lance, what do you say? Well, that's a pretty good pick, right? Yeah, I'd say it's a pretty good pick. Yeah, and I, and I, I liked what he said about LSU. You know, obviously there there's some some tensions rising in the in the media and among fans, but at the end of the day, you know, like he said, you've got to you've got to be able to focus up and you got to be able to get back to okay, it was just one non-conference loss. And then when you look at Auburn again, all of us have been talking about it. It feels like Auburn's favorite in a lot of different matchups matchups against Penn State. We're going to actually have to go out there and actually see them perform. But on paper, again, Auburn. I'm. We've we've talked about it. I'm taking them to win this game. But how much? I'm I'm still deciding on. Let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we continue to take a look at this Penn State football team. Still examining that defense a little bit. Also going to talk to you about what players you should be watching out for. Still looking at that Auburn Penn State matchup. We'll be back in just a moment. Wrapping up hour number one of On the Line, Wednesday edition of the show. Big thank you there to Chris Gordy of the Locked On SEC podcast for joining us there. If you missed any of our shows so far, go and find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Before we get out of here for hour number one, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, everybody, NBC's lineup features Family Game Fight at 7, and then following it from 8 to 10, it's the finale results on America's Got Talent. Over on Fox at 7, there's a new two-hour episode of Master Chef. ABC's lineup is game shows with Press Your Luck at 7 and the $100,000 Pyramid at 8. Some movie selections for you tonight. It's ridiculous but hilarious. Step Brothers is on Paramount at 6. ESPN 30 for 30s are on ESPN from 7 to 9. Last night, you had part 1 and part 2. Tonight, you have part 3 and part 4 of Once Upon a Time in Queens. In live sports, Major League Baseball is on ESPN at 9 with an NL West matchup between the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Los Angeles Dodgers. Braves also in action tonight. They are taking on the Colorado Rockies at 6.20 p.m. CONCACAF Champions League Soccer, MLS's Philadelphia Union, clash with Liga MX's Club America, and that is what's on TV tonight. Might I also add this? I didn't get to it, but I want to add this. Madden players competing for $100,000 in Madden NFL Ultimate League on ESPN2 at 9. Of course, that catches my particular interest because I'm a video game junkie, and specifically 
a football video game junkie, I probably will be tuning into that. Yeah, I'll probably be tuning into a little bit of that as well. And then the Braves, obviously, with their four and a half game lead, I'm going to be watching them with interest to see just if they're able to kind of rekindle the fire that they had as they move closer and closer to the postseason. So some news as of 2.05 p.m. when I received the press release in my inbox. Missed it at the start of the show as we were digging in on Auburn football. And from a programming decision, this is not a bad idea to run here in our short segment considering it is football season. But a note here, the SEC announced its 2022 baseball league schedule. Of course, Auburn still has to release its non-conference schedule. We don't know that at this point, so we don't know the full schedule. But we do know who Auburn is playing and where Auburn's playing them at in the SEC schedule. They open up SEC play hosting Ole Miss. That's a tough start of the season. Then you get to go to College Station and play Texas A&M. You'll also be on the road at LSU. That's your first three series. I'll tell you, College Station and Baton Rouge making a road trip, two out of your three series to start the season, or the SEC season that is, that's not easy, but you do have to remember A&M and LSU finished towards the bottom of the SEC West last year. Right. This isn't football. This is it, it, it feels like, obviously, the entire SEC baseball schedule is going to be difficult because it's such a good conference, but like you just mentioned, those two road trips are not the most daunting whenever you look into it. You follow that up with two teams that played in the College Baseball World Series. You will host Vanderbilt, and then you will go to Starkville, Mississippi, and play the Mississippi State Bulldogs. The East opponents are not easy either. You've got two East opponents after that. You've got South Carolina at home, and then you'll go to Knoxville to play Tennessee. Arkansas will follow that up as a home series, and then you'll have Alabama at home as well in the second-to-last series of the SEC schedule, and then you wrap it up on the road at Lexington So in Kentucky. So that is not the worst ending to the season to have to go to Kentucky I I don't think that's the worst end to your season with Alabama and Kentucky right there I think those are two very winnable series those are two of the easier teams on this schedule not saying that they're easy teams by no means is any team in this league easy to play Alabama and Kentucky Alabama did make the postseason last year and Kentucky barely missed it right there is no easy series in SEC baseball but there is something that you can you, you can say, yeah, th- those are two series we can win if we're going to make the postseason. Yeah, absolutely. But the middle of that schedule, though, I mean, that that is brutal to have to play Mississippi State and Vanderbilt back-to-back. Then you got Tennessee, Arkansas. South Carolina throwing the mix. They were no slouch last year. Very good defensive team last year. Really tough there in the middle. It's tough everywhere. But, yeah, the toughest part is the Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas. Just to make matters worse, I mean, a trip to Baton Rouge is not easy either. Alex Box Stadium is one of the best places in all the country to play baseball at so I I would even add just April through April 1st through May 8th is going to be an absolutely daunting stretch but slightly easier start to the schedule as well and it'll be nice to see to to see Auburn try and ease into it because again it's just a really difficult schedule all around would like to see Auburn bounce back some type of way this year and what better way to do it than to to have a semi easy start to kind of again just ease into things of course it's been an excellent hour number one here and if you missed any of it go and find the podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify stitcher and iheart radio we'll wrap up the baseball talk there you still got several months until the season starts you still got till february and when we come back for hour number two coming up in just a few minutes we've got an excellent 
Hour number two planned for you. Still breaking down some things schematically from what we expect to see between Auburn and Penn State on Saturday. We've got some great in-depth statistics, especially for players. Now we get into individuals, impact players that we expect to see on Saturday that are going to create some interesting matchups for Auburn and Penn State as well as we get into our on-the-line poll. A fun hour number two planned for you guys. Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn Podcast will join us as well. Stay tuned. We'll be back at 3 p.m. Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. It was a blast in hour number one. And if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Fun hour number two planned for you as well. Still going to be breaking down this Penn State-Auburn matchup from a schematical perspective. we still got some in-depth statistics to share with you, and we're going to be getting back into that in just a few moments. We'll also have Zach Blackerby of the Locked on Auburn podcast to join us here in hour number two as well. Starting off hour number two, let's get into it now. Going back to how we opened the show with Penn State-Auburn, schematical differences, schematical similarities. Let's get into strengths, weaknesses for these guys. We broke it down a little bit, but let's keep going in with these in-depth statistics. Strength on offense, Lance. For Penn State or Auburn? Penn State. State. We will ignore completely Auburn here. Let's get people the report Wednesday that they deserve on the Penn State and the Lions. No comparison, just straight up Penn State, I got you. Well, I would probably say the strength on offense is is the deep ball accuracy from Sean Clifford so far. If you had to pinpoint anything, I would say getting some of these receivers in space, Jahan Dotson, again, like I mentioned in the first hour, averaging over 16 yards a catch, as well as Keandre Lambert-Smith. They've hit the long ball a couple of times this season, a 52-yard completion to Lambert-Smith against Wisconsin, and then the 49-yard touchdown that kind of put Penn State over the edge on that busted coverage against the Badgers in week one of the season. So, yeah, I would probably say... And again, we broke down the offensive line. We broke down the running backs. I would say that these receivers and their deep ball, they have a couple of deep ball specialists on this roster. I would say that that is the strength uh, of this unit so far this season. Yeah, I'll say deep throws on play action passes. I will add to that the play action game because that's a lot of times when they are taking shots. It is off of after they've ran the ball, they've set it up, and then they go with a play action pass, which... 40% of their pass attempts are play action passes to just 60% are normal but a look at the passer grade the team passer grade for Penn State on play action passes or or maybe I should specifically say here Sean Clifford 79.1 passer grade on play action passes 76.2 passer grade on deep throws according to pro football focus that that's the grade that pro football focus gives him on deep throws and play action throws those are pretty good that's that's not above average that's good I'd say anything above an 80 is you're looking at a a, they had a 
at a good to great day you get up to 90 that that does not happen too often you're in the you know mid to high 70s you did pretty well this is how they beat Wisconsin of course you said earlier discard the Ball State game 100% there's not a whole lot that you can glean from that this is how they beat Wisconsin was throwing the deep shots and they connected on two or three and that was enough to be the difference in that game yeah I agree with you I will say though even though we're giving a report I have questions about whether or not they'll be able to do that consistently against Auburn because I don't see Auburn having a ton of busted coverages sure Auburn secondary that is one of the strengths for the Tigers looking at a weakness of this offense I would probably say the offensive line just as a whole they've not been fantastic in pass blocking they've not been fantastic in establishing the run game both against Ball State and against Wisconsin like I mentioned earlier in the show three sacks allowed against the Ball State Cardinals and you 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 just you wonder whether or not they're going to be able to improve on that this season because obviously as as the season goes on these players these offensive linemen are going to be able to gel but those two tackles are 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 a, are a concern for me uh, for Penn State I'm just curious of whether or not they'll be able to to kind of kind of take a step forward but the offensive line I think is the weakness right now I'll go specifically running game here and I think there are a couple of weaknesses on this offense I think the deficiencies that this offense has will will limit what Penn State can do from a wins and losses standpoint this season in the Big Ten I, I think of this team as a nine win team at this point but also look around the Big Ten and there aren't a whole lot of teams that are impressing me at this point Penn State may be the most impressive team at this juncture in the Big Ten season because they're undefeated and they beat a ranked team at this point right Iowa's looked Iowa has looked good, not great, but I think their ranking right now is propped up on the fact that they beat Indiana and Iowa State, and I can't believe I'm saying that because whenever in history has beating Indiana and Iowa State granted you permission to be ranked inside the top five? Never. Exactly. So you know this. I'm not sold on Iowa. I don't think they have done enough at this point to warrant being ranked fifth. I'd put them in the top 10, but not fifth. I think Iowa's good. So maybe maybe aside from Penn State, you would say Iowa. Those have been the two best teams at this point. I still think Ohio State's a good football team. Potential to be great by the end of the year if they can fix some things in the trenches. But Penn State, at this point, I think they have the best win, maybe, of any Big Ten school at this point, having beaten Wisconsin earlier. Yeah, I would agree with that. Just by the way that we've seen Iowa State and Indiana play football at this point, I think they have the best win. But still looking at this running game, According to Pro Football Focus, these are the Pro Football Focus grades that they gave these two categories for Penn State. A 60 for their rushing grade and a 52.4 for their run blocking grade. All you need to know is that is not good. That not is not good, good at all. Yeah, if you if you aren't a frequent visitor of Pro Football Focus and you don't kind of look into their grades and stuff. That's those, bad. That's bad. It's not good at all. Noah Kane, their primary running back, only averaging 1.96 yards after contact. For comparison purposes, Bigsby is averaging 5.25 yards after contact. So you can see what one guy looks like against two bad teams. Like this is, I mean, Bigsby's averaging 10 yards per carry right now. He is breaking tackles and and busting off breakaway breakaway runs. You look at what that looks like for one of the best running backs in the country, and then you take a fifth of that and you say, okay, this is what this running back's doing when he is meeting contact. Fairly easily tackleable is Noah Kane and some of these other running backs. I think there's talent in this backfield, but they are not getting help. There's not a lot of... the These holes aren't large. There's not a lot of space for them to run into. They're not able to stretch out their legs and run and showcase their athleticism. And they're just not 
strong enough, and they're not you know, they're not power backs, right? They're balanced running backs, speed backs as well. They're just not going to, you know, repeatedly beat their head against the wall like a Wisconsin running back might, right? Like that is it's a little bit different. This is a spread offense, very Gus Malzahn esque, I think, in some ways. When I when I've been digging into some of these numbers, you know, run, 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 play action shot, run, 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 play action shot, right? Throwing some screens here and there, very similar. But I think there's talent in this backfield. They're just not getting help from the offensive line. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's something, again, that's held them back over the course of these first two games. And I don't imagine it's going to be fixed very quickly. I'm saying that I don't think they're going to be able to solve all of their issues against Auburn. Moving on to this defense, a strength for the Penn State defense. Can you find one? They've been they've been good in several different areas. I feel yep. like I'm going to go with the secondary because, like Chris, Chris Gordy mentioned, four turnovers. Look, if their pass rush, which has not been great so far, is able to get home at all against Bo Nix, I have concerns about whether or not he's going to be able to make the right decision consistently because, like Gordy mentioned, Man, oh man, their uh, their their defensive backs have been pretty good so far. Allowed less than 180 yards passing, I believe, or 100 and uh, 100, yeah, somewhere around 180 yards passing in both their games so far. But uh, it it I think you can also say on the flip side of that how good of the quarterbacks been that they've faced. But still, to hold those two opponents to to those to those passing numbers is still impressive, and the, to to get turnovers off of it as well. I went with the secondary as well, despite only three sacks from that defensive line. They still came away with four picks. They're limiting what opposing teams are doing in the passing game. They're holding opposing quarterbacks to 63.4 passes complete or a, 64, a 63.4 completion percentage. So I should word that. Um, I'll dig into it a little bit more. Slot corner, Daquan Hardy. He's been targeted eight times, has only given up 11 yards on three catches. That's just a look into one of those players. You got Jaquan Brisker across the top. They got four different guys with an interception. Four picks, four different guys. That's impressive. That means that anyone back there is a threat to make you pay for a mistake. This team as a whole, according to Pro Football Focus, 7.3 yards per reception allowed. But Wisconsin and Ball State also aren't exactly pushing the ball downfield. So have these guys really been tested downfield? Not yet. Auburn will test them because Auburn likes to take shots. But um, they ha- they are not allowing they're they're allowing well short of a first down per reception, which is which is very good. Yeah, and again, the question being how good is the competition that Penn State this Penn State secondary has faced? And I think we will get to see against Auburn whether or not Penn State is able to actually hold up in that defensive backfield as well as we've seen them do over these first two games. Weakness of this defense, I'm sure you and I agree. Pass rush? Pass rush, yeah, I absolutely. think you could just go with defensive line as a whole because I don't think they're very good at stopping the run either. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll say defensive line, but again, like we mentioned, only three sacks over the course of yeah. these first two games. I mean, that just does not cut it. the only bullet point I have. I don't think I need to put anything else for pass rush. Only three sacks. Well, I think you should. You could also throw in there the stat that you threw out, the fact that they blitz Graham Mertz half the time and they still only couldn't three get sacks. home. Yeah. That's I mean, not good. That's just bad. That's just there's no way to put it other than that's just not good over the course of your first two games. I don't think in that Wisconsin game, I mean, Wisconsin was able to break off some runs with Malusi at running back or Belusi, I can't remember what his name is, but still the Wisconsin offense was still able to move the ball between the twenties. I think Penn State showed evidence of a hard time tackling. Yeah, and again, when you go back and watch that game, it almost feels like it wasn't necessarily a Penn State strength. It was Wisconsin shooting itself in the foot in the red zone twice, an interception and then a missed field goal. Like Auburn's not going to make that many mistakes that often. 
Moving on here, let's get into impact players. One guy on offense, one guy on defense to watch out for from the Penn State Dindy Lions. Jahan Dotson, for me, is the one yep. guy that I'm looking at. Had I don't o- think you could go anywhere else. Had over 100. Well, you could also say Keandre Lambert-Smith as maybe that second receiver. If, if Auburn and McCreary are really locking down on Dotson, you could say, well, maybe Lambert-Smith has more opportunities to get targets. But I am going to go with Dotson. Had over 100 yards receiving against Wisconsin. Again, that 49-yard touchdown on that busted coverage. He's an excellent receiver. Like I mentioned earlier, we graded this unit, this wide receiver unit, as an A over the summer. They've got really good pieces, but Jahan Dotson's probably their best. And you talk about the Penn State uh, offense occasionally stretching the field. I think you're going to see his name called a lot on Saturday. He is Clifford's favorite target, 16 targets through two games. So he's getting eight passes thrown his way per mall game at this point no other Penn State receiver has more targets than him at this point primarily lines up out wide about 75 percent of the time according to pro football focus average depth of target also according to PFF 15.9 yards he's the shot guy yeah again look 50 there 65 yards receiving against Ball State uh, had a long of a 25 had that touchdown whenever they like you just said whenever they want to go for the big play and score they're going to throw it his direction defensive player defensive player I had a difficult time with this one I'm gonna go Brandon Smith the linebacker because he's been their leading tackler over the course of these first two games this linebacking core has been really good it concerns me a little bit again I'm not saying that oh Auburn's not going to be able to run the ball because these linebackers are going to get going to get there and stop Bigsby and Hunter but I do like their linebackers again this is not a terrible defense they've been good over the course of these first two games it's been don't break it really is they'll bend but they haven't broke yet granted there wasn't a whole lot of force from the other two teams but and Wisconsin moved the ball but still just when they got in the red zone did some really shocking things and if you don't fumble the ball on a handoff maybe Wisconsin wins that ball game still sour picked Wisconsin to win that ball game I think we look at this game a little bit differently but it could end up being great for Auburn if Auburn goes in there and beats a top 10 team right yeah I'm gonna go with safety Jaquan Brisker I think he is the most intimidating player on Penn State for me and it's for the reason if Bonex makes a mistake on a downfield pass, Brisker will pick it off. This is a very talented player, primarily lines up at free safety, also can come into the box to stop the run. He's versatile, can do a little bit of everything. He's even lined up at slot corner some. Third on the team and tackles with five. Four of them are solo. That is ranking up there and solo tackles for Penn State as well. One interception, he had a 41-yard return off of it. So you see the athleticism there, able to get out and run. On top of that, one and a half tackles for loss. There's evidence of being successful in stopping the run. He's a roaming safety, like I said, that could punish Bonix downfield if he makes a bad decision or a poor throw. He also going to come up into the box to stop the running game. He he can move into that. He's not a nickel, but he can move into that nickel spot if they need him to to stop the run. This guy's going to be everywhere. You're going to hear his name called a lot. Is he a Smoke Monday-esque type of He's player? He's better than Smoke Monday. A lot better than Smoke. A lot better than Smoke Monday. Yeah, and then Jaquan s- Brisker is good. We haven't even heard anything of Smoke Monday these first two weeks, really. He's been pretty quiet. I mean, didn't he have like one tackle last week? Well, again, they're not really... They're, the two opponents Auburn's faced have not really put a lot of stress on and the, the safety spot and the linebackers are getting guys before the safeties are yeah auburn auburn's front seven is getting to guys before the 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 cornerbacks and secondary players have an opportunity to do so smoke monday stats in 2021 three tackles that's it solid nothing else three <laughs> tackles not that he's playing bad maybe it's better to just not hear from defensive backs you know what i mean it's like offensive linemen you're only saying their name sometimes when they're when they're playing poorly right and he hasn't had any busted coverage or anything downfield. At least, and maybe that's true in a coverage sense. Of course, if they're getting picks, but sometimes 
your best DBs aren't targeted because they're covering guys up so they don't have the opportunity to get a pick so maybe that's been the case maybe Smoke Monday's been really good and we just haven't been paying attention because he's been quiet but three tackles for Smoke Monday to start the year off yeah not playing bad and again I don't think that the ball's necessarily being thrown not only his way but it's not been thrown deep often on Auburn this year so no no not at all when the backups have came in it has but and that I think that's also a matchup that you have to look at in this game is whether or not if Dotson wants to stretch the field are these safeties going to be able to keep up and Auburn is Auburn going to continue to only have everything kept in front of them that's it for our full scouting report on the Penn State Nittany Lions when we come back we take a look at our on the line poll we reveal the rankings for this week Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Once again, call in at 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls all throughout hour number two. And we head to our phone lines now. We've got Shane on the line with us. Shane, how you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. How y'all doing? We're doing good. Just trying to stay dry. Yeah, yeah. I'm out riding around right now. It just uh, it comes and goes, but it's it. I, I didn't even know it was going to be raining. Apparently, it's not. It's not going to stop raining for about three or four days. Yeah, it could even be longer than that. I've I've seen some projected forecasts, or it could be like Wednesday next week. <laughs> oh my god. Well, anyway, anyway, well, that's a good. I don't know what it's like in in, uh, in Pennsylvania, you know, this weekend, but hopefully it's a little bit drier. Yeah, well, I don't know. I think a rain game might benefit Auburn because on on the ground, is, I think Auburn would dominate. That is true. So maybe 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 uh, the storm will follow them up there. Then that also kind of dampers a, a road environment as well. I I don't know if the whiteout uh, would, would be that's very enjoyable. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, so yeah, that's maybe it will rain up there. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I was saying I was listening to you guys and uh, how. You know how um, Tank has been doing um, with these two, you know, the two weaker opponents, and, and it's also like how, how much have they been playing? Have they, I mean, it's been like the first half and like uh, like a series or something, and he, that he's done all his damage is, is in like just you know two two quarters basically, and he's done what what he's done. Just imagine if he stayed in for a game and. I, I really think now that you say that about if it rained up there, if it rained, that guy would have 200 yards. I'm, I'm, I'm betting him and, and Hunter, it, it would be a massacre, I believe. Unfortunately, it is not supposed to rain on Saturday in State College, Pennsylvania. Eighteen <laughs> percent chance. I just looked at my uh, my my uh, storm app like an hour an hour ago, and it's like no rain. Uh, you know, for 24 hours, and then, and then it's, that's and right. Never know. And it says partly cloudy. Maybe it'll become all the way cloudy and then rain. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. That's all I had to say. Uh, I was just I was looking forward to seeing what he what he does in a, a full game. And I have my, I'm sorry, my daughter's yapping at me in the back seat right now, but. Well, hey, enjoy enjoy the drive with your daughter and uh and, and enjoy the quality time with her. Appreciate it, Shane. War Eagle to you. Going back to what he was saying about Tank Bigsby, 24 carries this year, 241 yards, two touchdowns, long of 51, 
10 yards per carry. Yeah. And he's right. Not a lot of touches, but he don't need it. Like he said, most of the damage has come in the first half, and he's been pulled either early in the third quarter or midway through the third quarter. You can only imagine, like he just said, if Tank is getting the touches the entire game, which he will, how productive he's going to be on the ground. Again, Auburn's offensive line, I think, is going to be able to get a little bit of a push in this game, and they're going to establish Tank and Hunter early, and that's going to be a concern for, for Penn State all night because the moment that they hone in on the run, talk about Brian Harson being aggressive in, in, in short yardage situations, Auburn's going to ta- start taking some shots downfield and testing these defensive backs, which, likely, like we said, are talented but they've not faced SEC caliber talent yet. So again, a lot of matchups to really like in this in this game, and I think Tank on the ground is just another one of them. Let's go to our on-the-line poll. Thank you, Shane, for calling in, 334-321-1390, if you want to call in. Of course, we debuted this segment last week. The on-the-line poll, you, me, Sting, we all vote on this here in the studio, just three or four of us here voting on it. So... Some of it can kind of get a little obscure, but we're not all too far off. We average it out just like a real poll would, and we put together our rankings. And these are our show's rankings for this week going into week three of college football. And I want to break it down, maybe talk about some things that maybe disturb us, some things that maybe we're happy about. Uh, All joking aside, I still think it's a pretty good top 25. Nothing too glaring here in this group. One, Alabama. Two, Georgia. Three, Oklahoma. Four, Oregon. Five, Clemson. 6 Cincinnati, 7 Iowa, 8 Ohio State, 9 Florida, 10 Penn State, 11 UCLA, 12 Texas A&M, 13 Ole Miss, 14 Coastal Carolina, 15 Iowa State, 16 Notre Dame, 17 Virginia Tech, 18 Wisconsin, 19 Auburn, 20 Arkansas, 21 North Carolina, 22 Arizona State, 23 Michigan, 24 UCF, and 25 BYU. Now I'm going to welcome in intern Sting onto the show. So he's going to have to defend some rankings as well. Sting, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Now, looking at this poll here, nothing too glaring for me. And I want to break down some of it. Once again, folks, this is not the AP Top 25. This is not the coaches. This is the on-the-line poll, right? Not official, but it's what it's how we've ranked these teams out in our minds and I want to start with the team at seven two spots down from where they're actually at at the AP top 25 Iowa in the AP top 25 they're at five we've got them at seven that's because of me you guys had them much higher than where I had them at I think I had them at nine somewhere around there you guys had them a little bit higher which was able to give them up to seven so take me through Iowa Hawkeyes how do we view this team Lance start with you so after looking at the poll and you and I and and Sting actually had this discussion just a day or so ago talking about Iowa and you know the fact that they've beaten two ranked teams but we really question whether or not those two ranked wins were were quality wins after seeing the way those two teams have have played and And will they be recognized as quality wins at the end of the season exactly so right now in terms of ranking these teams by like the best team to to the worst team out of this top 25 I think you could make the argument that Iowa should sit somewhere seven or eight somewhere around there I think I think if you put them behind Ohio State I'm not mad putting them at seven I'm happy with that though though as well I just don't want to see them overreact I don't want to see folks overreact and be like oh they beat two ranked teams they deserve to be five and that is exactly what happened through these first two weeks considering they were ranked in the high teens they're at like 18 or 17 to start the year and in the matter of two weeks where are they at now top five five what 
And they beat Iowa State and Indiana. Once again, I go back to when has that ever been the prerequisite to be the top five team in the country? I think you could also Never. maybe maybe some voters are making the argument <laughs> that considering uh, there's probably not a lot of I don't think I can think of another team in the country right now that's won two top twenty five games. Okay, that's fine if they will drop Iowa when those teams do win games right. and they won't. Exactly, Iowa will stay parked at five yes. until they lose. And that's my point, and that's your point as well. Is are these are these rank wins going to be recognized as legitimate at the end of the season? We don't have a lot of stock in these teams right now. Now, granted, if they keep winning, then they're proving right. to everybody that they deserve to be fifth but maybe it should have been a little bit more of a gradual process than you know leaping 10 flights of stairs each each week you <laughs> right. know i just i thought that was a little i think folks are overreacting a little bit to iowa sting any thoughts before we move on no i mean i agree with them being at seven right now i do think five is a little bit too high right now for a lot of the reasons that lance said i i'm happy with him at seven in our poll but i'm also not against them being at five in the ap i guess Lance, let me scoot this soapbox over there. Oh Talk boy. to me about Notre Dame. Notre Dame coming in at 16 <laughs> in our rankings. You <sighs> put them in your ballot at like 22 or 21. Yes, I did put them at 22, I believe, in my ballot. <laughs> and if you go down the line, I start to ask myself the question, could Notre Dame, after beating a Florida State team that is 0-2 and lost on a Hail Mary to Jacksonville State. I don't think you can even call that a Hail Mary. And, and Sure. <laughs> you, why do you have just... two guys deep on a Hail Mary throw, bro? Well, it, it wasn't even really a Hail Mary. I mean, it wasn't even a shot to like the end zone. I mean, he, was, he was still very much so, 20 yards in his own territory, chunks it up. It was just four verts, and you know he caught it you know, 20 yards away from the end zone, and just poor tackling happened. Yeah, man, That's laziness. It's, it's the man screw it. Seth Williams down there somewhere. Yeah. He's going to chuck it up. <laughs> but their record consists of a win over that Florida State team and a three-point win at home against Toledo, and they needed Toledo to shoot themselves in the foot three different times to get that game-winning touchdown. It's like the, the Auburn High State Championship. It was like the Auburn LSU game in 2018, where it's That's just true. defensive yeah. pass interference over and over and over all the way downfield, and then they got a 25-yard touchdown to their tight end, and then Toledo on their drive with about a minute left, fumbled the ball. Fu- they, well, yeah, they, they fumbled the bag. Like they had multiple uh, penalties, and it pushed them back, and uh, they couldn't. They couldn't. Uh, they couldn't make it happen. But, yeah, that's Notre Dame right now. A three-point win over Toledo and an overtime win against a terrible Florida State team. That's not top 15. I don't think it's top 20. I think you could make the argument that they're in the top 25, but they're not. The, it's not the Notre Dame that we're used to. They've given up an average of, what, over 30 points a game so far this season? And then you look at some of these other teams in the top 25. I don't have confidence that they would beat them at home, at a neutral site, or on the road. So I put them at 13. There may be a little bit of hypocrisy here looking back at my ballot because I was willing to drop A&M all the way down to 16. But yeah, I, I keep Notre Dame at 13 at this point because I'm going, to, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on the talent on both sides of the ball. Schedule may lighten up a little bit here with Purdue this week. Well, then again, it doesn't get much lighter than Toledo, I guess. But still, relatively light schedule here. Maybe they figure some things out. They've still got a talent to be the top 10 team in a country or to be a top 10 team. But right now, not playing like it. On the other side of this break, we got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast coming up. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. And we head to our phone lines. Now we got Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast joining us for the Wednesday edition of the show. Zach, how you doing today, my man? Guys, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Big, uh, big Saturday coming up. That's right. And this is a game that we've talked about for a couple of weeks now. At least me and you, we have. And it's kind of hard to not do that considering Alabama State and Akron were your first two opponents. But after two games and seeing Auburn play those two teams, what are your impressions of this new-look Auburn team under Brian Harson? I think they did what they needed to do. I don't think they could have done um, a, a whole lot more than what they did. I think they're blowing teams out that they should blow out. I think – uh, I think they look sharp doing it. I think we see, uh, I think we've seen changes to this offense, which has been good. I think we've seen changes to the defense, which is I, I think elevated them. Can't wait to see what happens uh, on Saturday with that. But yeah, all in all, I think Auburn's done what you know, just kind of the collective we have all agreed that they needed to do. Now it's uh, now it's a big test uh, on Saturday. Taking a look at this Auburn-Penn State game, Auburn heads up to Happy Valley. A lot is being made about the road environment. What do you think about it? Do you really think it's that big of a deal? And uh, how, how do you think this new-look Auburn team will handle the noise? I think it's a really cool thing. I, I hate I will not be able to be there. I'm sure as being a fan, whether you're you know an Auburn fan traveling up there or obviously a Penn State fan being a part of it, it seems like it's going to be really, really cool. Um, you know, there's comments being made that it's going to be, you know, the toughest environment that Auburn's ever been in. I'm not buying that. I, I think it's much harder to win in Tuscaloosa. I think it's much harder to win in Athens. I think it was much harder to win in Baton Rouge two years ago and same with the Swamp two years ago. Uh, Kyle Field's a tough place to play. Look, I mean, it's uh, – Auburn's been in, you know, hostile environments before. I don't think this is a new thing. I do think it's interesting, and I'd love to get y'all's thoughts on this. I talked about it on the roundtable a few hours ago, but I just think it's amazing. When you talk to Penn State people, there's two things that they say that um, are, you know, are reasons why they're going to win or you know blow out Auburn or whatever. One is because they beat Wisconsin on the road, a top-ten team at the time, and Sure, I, they look bad doing it, but they won. I'm not going to take that away from them. I think we all agree that their their first two games were significantly more impressive as far as opponents go than Auburn's. We're, we're not debating that. The second thing, though, is they talk about, like, oh, it's a wideout. The wideout's going to you know, be too much for Auburn. And it's wild to me that Penn State people – aren't talking about their team. They're not talking about, you know, Noah Kane's going to run rampant or, you know, Dotson's going to, you know, be able to get open against Roger McCreary. It's, it's none of that. It's, none, it's no talk about their team and what they're going to do against Auburn. It's just, yeah, the fans are going to be really loud and Auburn's not going to know what to do with it. It's like, I think that's a really weird approach, but that's all I'm hearing. Are y'all hearing anything different? I haven't seen anything on social media about Sean Clifford throwing for four touchdowns. <laughs> no, I've not. And Twitter, it's been really interesting to see the back and forth on Auburn and Penn State Twitter. But yeah, you're absolutely right. I've not heard anything about you know these specific players. I've just heard about the atmosphere and how that's going to overwhelm Auburn. I've just never seen that before. And like you see fan bases that are really proud of you know their their home field advantage. Like LSU talks about that a bunch. Heck, Auburn talks about that from time to time, you know, especially when they get Georgia and Alabama at home. But that's not all they talk about. 
And I, I just I just never seen anything like it. I think it's really, really interesting. Did you see the quote from Sean Clifford earlier today in reference to I guess he was asked about James Franklin and potential mutual interest between him and USC. Did you happen to see that quote? Uh no, I didn't. Tell me. Well, I don't have the exact quote in front of me, and I'll make sure I go and find that in just a moment. But essentially paraphrasing here, he said that that uh Coach Franklin had a conversation with the guys, had a conversation with the team that all this stuff is basically out of their control and that um, that they just got to go to work every day, which I, I thought was fascinating. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, is that a distraction? Like, is, is that something worth talking about? I don't, I don't know. Um, you know, I, I, I go, I've been going to Penn State website, specifically Nittany Wire. Uh, dot com part of the usa today network and just kind of reading stuff about that and a lot of the articles that i was looking at yesterday were about rumors addressing rumors tying uh coach franklin to to a usc which is interesting about they're they're about to play a pretty big game host a pretty big game you know on game day and yeah it's just there's not a lot of talk about their football team there's talk about their head coach and their fans which is fine but it's just it's a weird thing it's been a really weird week for them yeah, and 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 like Noah said, both Sean Clifford and Jane, James Franklin have both said that they're not really concerned with distractions. Franklin actually said he was like, "Man, I hate distractions. I wish we would just focus on the game and on, and on our players." And Clifford said, "Yeah, it's no concern, but it does not seem like social media is taking that." I've got the quote here. This is what Sean Clifford said on Franklin USC speculation uh, as of David Eckert on Twitter at David Eckert ninety eight quote. Coach Franklin talked to us yesterday and addressed the topic. I don't think it's something that we need to worry about. It's kind of out of our hands, so we're just going to focus on Auburn and go from there, end quote. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, it is out of their hands um, for sure. It's just, yeah, it's just something that you don't really have to, you know, yeah. I don't know, I'm just thinking about it like you were Brian Harson in that situation. He would hate that. He'd be like, this takes us away from game planning uh, for Penn State. And so I'm sure that's something that the coaching staff does not like. You know, it, is he tied to USC? Maybe. I don't know. And, you know, I don't, I don't think we'll know until, uh, until late, late in the season. Yeah, I just found that quote to be fascinating because it's not like he really shut it down. At least, at least that's not how I took it. Um, and, that, and that was via Penn State rivals right there. But switching gears here, talking about this game on the actual field instead of talking about all the stuff surrounding it and the storylines going into it. What's the matchup that you'll be looking at closest in this game? Dotson versus McCreary. I think that's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Look, Auburn's going to want uh, Penn State to be one-dimensional. I think they're going to really try to force Clifford to beat him. I think Penn State's going to do the same thing to Bo Nix. I mean, Noah Kane's a good running back, but he hasn't been able to run the ball consistently um, against Wisconsin, which makes sense. And he really didn't look that good against Ball State, in my opinion, which – you know, if I was on the uh, the Penn State side of it, I think that'd be a hair concerning. So, um, I think Auburn's still going to force them to run the ball, and their main guy is Dotson, and Auburn's main guy on the outside is Roger McCreary. So, I think that's going to be a fun matchup to uh, to watch. Both those guys will probably play in the league for a little bit as well. So, yeah, I think that's the big one. On a scale of one to ten, what's your confidence level in Bo Nix on the road going into this game that he will have? the best road performance that he's had yet in his career, at least against a good team. That's not really saying much, considering the bar to clear there. He hasn't had any good road performances against good teams, right? But what is your confidence level scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most confident? Uh, I'd, 
say like a six, six and a half or so. I, I think a lot of it's going to have to do with things outside of Bo Nix. I think a lot of it's going to have to be, you know, this is really his first legitimate road game where he's had, he's been healthy and there's been a healthy running back next to him that I think is like an actual SEC caliber running back. Obviously, Tank Bigsby or Dark Hunter. I think they both fall into that category. But the whole, um, the whole like freshman year when he had Booby Whitlow, like I, that's just, I, I don't think that was cutting it because he couldn't get a running game going against an LSU or a Florida. And so I think they're going to be able to run the ball. And when you can run the ball, you can, you know, it then opens up passing lanes. It then gives you time because you have to uh, defend the run differently. And I think you, know, you could do things like play action and, and quick passes and, and, you know, bubbles and swing passes. I think you're going to see a lot more of a variety of play calls than we're used to seeing him do when Auburn uh, hasn't been able to run the ball. Looking at Mount's on offense, if they couldn't run the ball, they weren't going to win the football game. I think, um, I think Brian Harson and Mike Bobo are going to be able to kind of go into this game with a backup plan if certain things don't work early. And uh, Bo Nix is going to really benefit from that. A couple of weeks ago, you said that you felt confident in Auburn to win this game after you saw Penn State play against Wisconsin. Where do you stand a week later, and what is your score prediction? Yeah, I, I, I'm in the same spot. I don't think this game will be close. And, you know, it could be Penn State that wins this. But I just don't have a feeling – that this is going to be a close football game. I think whoever takes over and whichever offense gets things going against the opposing defense, that's going to be um, that's, that's going to be it. So my pick is twenty-seven to thirteen, and I think it's fifty-fifty on which way it could go. For the sake of this conversation, I'll go with Auburn. But I just I, I think whichever offense gets things going early, and I think we're going to know who's going to win this football game fairly early into the game, um, whether. You know, Auburn's moving the football earlier, Penn State. I just don't see it being both. I think both defenses match up well with the opposing offenses. So, whichever one breaks through, and if it definitely if it happens early, I think that's going to be the one that does it. Zach, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all your content. Yeah, Locked on Auburn, available wherever you get your podcasts, also on YouTube, and uh, a lot of Penn State folks coming over and, and commenting and arguing with Auburn fans. So if that's your thing, go check that out. But also, if you're in the uh, Auburn Opelika Lee County area, be sure to listen to News Talk WA and I every single morning. I'm on there from six to nine on Auburn Opelika this morning. Guys, appreciate it, man. Appreciate you, Zach. Hope you have a good rest of your afternoon and evening. You too, guys. That was Zach Blackerby of the Locked On Auburn podcast here with us for the Wednesday edition of On the Line. Lance, before we go to break. I want to ask you about that quote. Had you seen that quote before I brought it up? I did, yes. What was your impressions of it? Once again, I'll, I'll reread this quote for folks. This is on Twitter. David Eckert, he's a reporter for Penn State Rivals, at David Eckert 98 Saw Christian Clemente retweeted. Christian Clemente, friend of the program. So those are some places you can go and find this on Twitter. Sean Clifford on Franklin USC speculation. Quote, Coach Franklin talked to us yesterday and addressed the topic. I don't think it's something that we need to worry about. It's kind of out of our hands. So we're just going to focus on Auburn and go from there, end quote. And I genuinely think that while it may not be a serious distraction, very similar to the LSU situation, it may not be a distraction directly to the players, it has to be in the back of everybody's mind, right? Because like you said, he didn't shut the question down. That kind of sounded like it was in the back of everybody's mind. He said, you you don't have to worry about it. Just keep going about it. Your business was kind of the vibe that I got, but that didn't mean that it was gone. Right. It wasn't it wasn't a oh, this is the, this is not even a reality. Why are we talking about this? It's not gonna happen. It was a nobody worry about it. 
it was it was it it left the door open for speculation and i think for auburn it's a good thing for the opposing opponent uh, for for the opponent to have all of the distractions that they possibly can have heading into this game and it seems like this one's somewhat legitimate and and maybe people are making too much out of it right like maybe this isn't a big deal whatsoever and maybe you know how the questions were answered maybe they could, it could have been worded better or maybe a- answered in a different way maybe they didn't fully maybe they weren't able to fully communicate their point maybe, maybe that because that happens to all of us right we're all human beings we all sometimes fail to communicate communicate a point well and maybe it really is nothing to worry about but that answer to that question and sometimes also like it's different hearing something than reading something so once again i don't want to take that too far but uh you know the word last 24 hours we knew James Franklin would be a candidate. That was obviously written about often yesterday or, or back on Monday when Clay Helton was fired, but it seems like there's some steam picking up for a couple of names. James Franklin is one of those guys, according to Dan Patrick's show, at least. That was reportedly from the Dan Patrick show that there's mutual interest there. Another name out there, Eric Bieniemy, but they're not going to have a decision made right now. Urban Meyer said that there was no chance. Where have I heard that before from a coach <laughs> saying that they weren't going to go play college football again or go back and coach college football? Nick Saban said that there, you know, his variation of no chance he was going to be the Alabama football coach. Uh, I, I checked my calendar 15 years later, several national championships, and now he is more successful than Bear Bryant was in college football, right? At the same institution. So I don't take a lot from whatever any coaches say when they're asked about it i i know that it's a reporter's job to ask but um on the on the same token uh, i think you also know that they're never going to give you a straight answer right yeah but i will say again like if you were going to shut it down you would have shut it down why why did you leave the question open because if you if if there really is nothing to it you would have shut the question down so that nobody speculated over whether or not this is a distraction i think it is a i I think as long as it's not shut down and maybe coach franklin did shut it down with the team with his team maybe he did address it well enough with his program going into this week but if he didn't that should be a major concern going into this saturday's ball game absolutely yeah and again auburn wants penn state to have all the distractions that they possibly can and this is one that seems again somewhat legitimate let's take a break here when we come back we wrap up the wednesday edition of on the line Wrapping up the Wednesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got about six minutes until we get out of here. Then it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack from 4 to 6 p.m. So stay tuned for that on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Guys, it's been a fun show today. If anybody ever misses a show or misses part of the show, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast let's wrap up the show here with our on the line poll we talked about it a little bit earlier giving everybody our show's rankings for college football our own top 25 that we voted on together and then averaged it out and i'll remind everybody of the rankings here one alabama two georgia three oklahoma four oregon five clemson six cincinnati seven iowa eight ohio state nine florida 10 penn state 11 ucla 12 texas a&m 13 Ole Miss, 14 Coastal Carolina, 15 Iowa State, 16 Notre Dame, Too high. <laughs> 17 Virginia Tech. Uh, t- to be fair, I do think they would lose to some of these teams behind them. 17 Virginia Tech, 18 Wisconsin, 19 Auburn, 20 Arkansas, 21 North Carolina, 22 Arizona State, 23 Michigan, 24 UCF, and 25 
BYU. And that is our show's rankings for college football, not the AP Top 25 or any other poll. This is ours. Guys, we talked a little bit about Iowa. We talked a little bit about Notre Dame, just highlighting some other teams in these rankings. A&M at 12. In my ballot, I think I've got them at 16. You guys still have them either in the top 10 or on the cusp of the top 10. Take me through the Texas A&M Aggies because I'm down on these guys right now. I think this team is reaching a point beyond repair. Yeah, I had them at 11 in my poll. And the reason that I bumped them down, not not as much as you, I guess, but I did bump them down is because obviously the quarterback situation, the distributor distributor of the football, how is Zach Calzada going to play in lieu of Haynes King and his injury? I just don't know if he's going to be able to get it done. But I will say that defense and the talent surrounding Zach Calzada. It's going to help it, them win games. It's going to help them win games. So I'm not willing, like you said, talking about Iowa, it's a gradual process of moving it up. I think it's fair to say it's a gradual process of moving A&M down if they do lose a game like against Arkansas here in just a couple of weeks people know where I said that I would have them finish in my SEC standings projected out back a couple of weeks ago before the season started I had them at sixth and that was a seven and five record three and five in league play or maybe two and five or two and six excuse me but I had them losing to Arkansas in that tiebreaker game between those two I had them at three and five losing to Arkansas that tiebreaker there in head-to-head had them at six with the way that I planned it out and now it's looking a little bit better for that to actually happen. Not saying that it will happen, and I'm not claiming that I was correct yet, and there is still plenty of time with that A&M defense. They, they can buy themselves more time to get their offense right. They only have a week, I think, at this point to figure it out before they could take an SEC loss. But after that, you know, they can still keep working. That defense is going to give them a shot against pretty much anybody on their schedule other than maybe Alabama at this point. But... If they don't pick up that offense quickly, and if these quarterbacks continue to be turnover prone, right now AM quarterbacks are averaging an interception every 18 pass attempts. That could be two per ball game, with most quarterbacks throwing the ball more than 30 times a ball game. So I'm not pleased with anything I've really seen out of AM. Isaiah Spiller did not catch a lot of space against Colorado. AM was averaging, you know, less than four yards a carry against the Buffaloes. Colorado is not a good football team. There are some real concerns there on that offense, and it is even trending outside of the quarterback position, I think. I want to talk to you all about the uh, the team that we have right underneath them in Ole Miss at 13. I have them 16 in my ballot. I'm assuming that both of you are a little bit higher on Ole Miss than I am right I'm now. At 12. Take me through why you're so excited about the Rebels. So the way that I approach when I rank teams is I, A, compare them to the other teams that I'm, I'm ranking them against. I'm like, all right, do I think that Ole Miss would beat this team? Do I think they're better than this team? And then also factor in there, I balance out their resume and what they've done at this point. I think all of that culminates in these rankings, and it's not perfect. Ranking teams is never going to be a perfect way um, until you've got substantial evidence, until you've got substantial weeks of, of film on these teams and you have common opponents and whatnot. Two weeks, it's going to be difficult to do that. But from what I've seen out of Ole Miss at this point, after two weeks, I want your guys' thoughts on this. Would Ole Miss beat Coastal Carolina? Yes. Would Ole Miss beat Iowa State? Yes. Would yes. Ole Miss beat Notre Dame? Yes. <laughs> yes. By a mile. Would Ole Miss beat Virginia Tech? Uh, Yes. I like them to beat Virginia Tech. Would Ole Miss beat Wisconsin? Yes. You probably feel pretty good about it. Ole Miss and Auburn. Um, you don't feel great about the game. I mean, it's it's going to be it'd be a great game, I think. Yeah, Auburn Auburn by 10. <laughs> okay. I like it. You have Auburn really high in your rankings. I have Auburn. I have them at 14 yeah. in my what? poll. Yeah. I think they could beat Carolina. They could beat Ole Miss, Wisconsin, North Carolina, Arizona State, Michigan, Notre Dame, UCF, Virginia Tech, Michigan State, and Miami. I think they could beat all of those teams. 
Now, they've only played two games, and it was against Louisville and Austin P. and I don't think either of those teams are great. I think Louisville's going to miss a bowl game this year. I don't have a whole lot of faith in that team to turn things around with Satterfield right now, but Ole Miss's offense can score. They showed they could score against anybody last year in the league. I think that continues. The question is about this defense, but at this point, I think Ole Miss has enough firepower to beat pretty much any of these teams and there's a lot of teams down right now in college football so i hope that answers your question yeah it it does absolutely and again that offense man if that defense can just get a little bit better in sec play Ole Miss is going to be a formidable formidable opponent about two or three weeks from now i think we're going to be looking at an sec west hierarchy that's one alabama two auburn three Ole miss and auburn and Ole miss going to be mighty close that's it for another edition of on the line we'll be back with you tomorrow you know where to find us